0: Hello
1: and welcome friends to another episode of Of Leadership. I'm Alex. I'm John. I'm Zach. And I'm Adam. And yes, we do have a guest today. Adam Harder is with us. And actually, Adam, this is episode 64.
0: It is. It and is. so do you have anything attached to 64? Uh, I, I do. I know often you guys go with the sport references, and I have to go in the opposite direction. And it reminds me of the Nintendo 64. Oh, oh yes. All nice. the great memories that are that are tied into that. Um, okay.
1: Your your favorite Nintendo 64
0: game. Go. Oh, man. That's difficult. I spent a lot of time with Mark. Mario world but i'd I'd have to give it to super smash brothers the house of kirby is strong and my skills are still pretty polished if if you want to get down
1: Uh i wasted a lot of time on zelda getting that
2: stupid horse i remember the horse is the worst banjo kazooie remember Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you had a chicken on your back or something and you were a bear
3: (laughs) miss pac-man always caused me problems in that game
1: Understandable. <laughs> I like how you reference the system as a game and that really brought it
0: home for me. Yeah. It provides is, authenticity. It does.
1: It does. Um, also uh, since we're in also the song realm, I mean, this does lead right into, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? One of my favorite, actually my dad really enjoys that song. Um,
3: the, the artist is the Beatles. Mm hmm. You didn't know that? I did not. Where were you? Sorry. Uh, sixty-four, one year away from birth. I was, yes, still a twinkle in the eye of God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. I was gonna. I thought it was a twinkle in your dad's eye. Yeah,
3: father, my father's yeah. eye.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Oh gosh. <laughs> Isn't there? No, I feel like I'm going into another song by Eric Clapton about father's eyes in my father's eyes oh it's for sure a song and it's like sad anyways okay well that was riveting,
3: <laughs> <It> was riveting. <laughs> okay so um
1: we are going to talk about authoritarian versus permissive leadership two sides of a spectrum um so adam has some some attributes before that and we'll we'll describe some of the more attributes of adam here in a second but gentlemen, we should probably recap our last episode, which was about parenting problems and principles. John, you were the only parent that were, was on the podcast last time I checked. Zach, uh, nope, still doesn't have a kid. So kind um, of describe to us what the podcast
3: was Yeah, we talked about um, what works and what doesn't. And I, I'm always hesitant about formulas, but nonetheless, we did talk a little bit about some things that we've observed in our own upbringing and me from a fatherhood standpoint of uh, what to consider when it comes to parenting. Certainly not easy, but hopefully the tips that we shared and some thoughts that we had are helpful. So encourage our listeners to check that one out. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Now, so uh, Adam Harder is a high school teacher at Summer Falls High School, uh, teaches AP calculus and all sorts of other math type things he is a lover of herpetology yes indeed yes yeah. herpetology so um, I'm not going to explain what that is so good luck um,
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's <laughs> plenty of misconceptions about that yes uh
1: uh-huh. I would say his head circumference is probably around an, an eight or a nine inches what would you I'll say? take that
2: uh, I-, I couldn't tell you but he does have a nice head <laughs>
0: I like everywhere this is going.
1: <laughs> you wanted us to say what attributes we could say about you. He has a nice beard growing.
0: Nice beard growing. Uh-huh. Very
2: straight bridge on his nose. <laughs>
1: all these things lead to his wonderful leadership abilities.
3: Too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Adam,
0: with all that, that wonderful introduction we just gave you. Excellent. Um, what are we talking about tonight? Uh so, today, the a topic that's been on re, my mind recently is authoritarian leadership versus permissive leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a theme that I've seen starting to come up in my parenting, as well as my role as a teacher. And since I've kind of keyed myself into it a little bit, I've observed it a lot more in any kind of top down um, mm. relationship as well. Um, this idea of, you know, it is, is authoritarian and permissive leadership. Um, is it a spectrum and is there a right place to always be on that spectrum and, and how to navigate that space?
2: Hmm. So talk to us real quick. How old are your kids?
0: Uh, my kids are, this is like a trick question. Um, my kids are eight and nine at the moment. It continually changes though. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the moment, eight and nine, they're in second and fourth grade. So, I'm at that fun age of parenting where, um, and, and maybe this is why it's been on my mind is because my kids are getting a lot better at reasoning through things and wanting to know the why behind the actions that I take, uh, within the household.
3: Um, Imagine that Adam Harder's kids using reasoning. I'm just perplexed. (laughs) Has anyone ever read? Thank
2: you for arguing. It's a great book that I think Adam would appreciate a lot. The the dad's a college professor in logic and or rhetoric, and he teaches his kids that what matters is not winning, but getting what you want and how he explicitly taught and raised his children. You know, he's teaching you about like ethos and pathos and logos through this book, and he's speckling it with. All of these great examples of how he raised his children to beat him in arguments by (laughs) making them think that he won when really they were getting what they wanted. And he's okay with it. And it was just its a very good read for our audience. And I think you would appreciate it, Adam.
0: Mm -hmm. Noted. So is this what you're doing, your children? Uh, not quite. <laughs>
3: <laughs> are you teaching them to argue or they're just doing that on their own? Oh or, no, or they've reasons? managed, they've managed that out and quite on their own. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's all the board game strategies, right? You're yeah, making a little them bit. actually we, think.
0: Uh, yeah. We've started to cross into the new threshold of board games with them. So they're finally both oh. at an age where we can start kind of leveling, leveling that up a little bit.
1: So you're, would you say that you're perhaps your authoritarian, leadership style has had to be changed a bit.
0: I I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, I, I think that, I think that I'm kind of crossing out of that, that phase where everything I say is law because I said it, Mm -hmm. um, and, and leaving that moment of absolute trust in in everything I say as, as a leader in the household, um, and kind of crossing into that zone where they, uh, they're willing to they're willing to do whatever, but they're starting to get a lot more curious at the mechanisms behind the scenes. Um, I, I know, you know, one of the examples that, that comes to mind with this is when when you have a, young child and you tell them you know not to reach up and touch on top of the stove Mm -hmm. and they might ask why and you might say because it's hot but they haven't really internalized what that means yet and really they just they're not touching the stove because mom and dad said don't touch the stove or don't reach over there um but at some point between that moment and um being a teenager let's Mm -hmm. say somewhere in that zone they need to internalize that and believe it for themselves and make it one of their own um, make it their own idea to to not touch the stove under certain conditions might be more complex set of rules at that point because now you can make assessments on when it's hot and when it's cold and and make some judgment calls But ultimately, you know, you you don't find someone walking around when they're like 24 and they won't touch the stove. And why? Well, someone told me not to once and I believed them. So. (laughs) So. So how do you know? So the question that's been on my mind is how do I go from from just leading authoritatively saying don't do this because it's bad for you mm-hmm. and transitioning into okay let's let's not do this for the moment but I also want you to learn how to make your own decisions in the space
1: yeah kind of like let them let them just touch the stove a little bit just a wee bit <laughs> yeah when it's really hot it doesn't burn you as much as if you just touch it a little bit at you know, a little bit of times.
2: So, have you figured out how to solve that problem? Like, are you giving them marshmallows on sticks and telling them to, like, see if they can toast oh.
0: them? Look at this guy. And He's going to, like, depth of like, knowledge, like, like, two. That seems like a long way to figure out if the stove is hot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have taught the touch with the back of your hand if oh. you need to see if someone's hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Uh, And uh, just some general ideas about safety and and thinking about when was the last time the stove was used and, you know, mentioning that we don't set things on top of the stove and things like that.
3: Yeah, I I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I had a friend who uh, had a child that was that wanted to play with matches. And uh, the parent did this crazy idea where they they actually let them play with matches. I don't know.
0: I think you're referring to a story that I told you.
3: Oh, you were the crazy one. That was me. That was exactly. definitely me. Can you, can you say more? Yeah, say uh, yeah more I definitely
0: this. can. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so what had happened was my daughter, when I'm guessing she was around like five years, five years old, and we were home either for winter break or for a snow day or something like that. And I decided to have a fire. So I was stacking the wood and she would asked during the process if, if she could light the fire. And I said, well, I don't know about you lighting the fire. Um, and then a couple seconds later, uh, I hear her say, if I moved this across the stone here, would it light? And I turned around she had a match and you know, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were, they were sitting out, but I realized at that moment that she was starting to put together some things in context of these matches. And that maybe right now was the moment for experimentation when Mm -hmm. it was a little bit safe with me instead of just being like, Hey, don't touch those. And, but knowing she had a curiosity to touch them. Um, so, so I told her, you know, I don't want you to light the fire, but, maybe we can light this candle here. So I got a candle out and put it near the fireplace there. And we talked about a couple things to do and how it was going to work. And I showed her an example and everything. And so she lit the match and she was super pleased with herself and she lit the candle, but the wick was taking a little bit longer to light than she supposed it would. And she held the match too long and her fingertips started getting really hot. And, she had a mild panic but instead of just flinging the match anywhere she kind of like looked around and threw it into the fireplace which showed good decision making under pressure I was happy with that Um, (laughs) but ultimately the end result was she burned her fingers and um, it took me like a solid two or three years to convince her like it would it's okay to try this thing again Hmm. um, and that we just need to be careful and you know have some long stem matches that she's used and she feels more comfortable with those Um, you know and there's the phrase the burn hand Teaches best, but I feel that that can be surely abused. Yes. Um. Uh. But uh, quite literally, the burned hand teach taught best right there. Uh-huh. Um. Uh, but it almost taught too much of a lesson. Yeah. She she pulled back so far from it. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but yeah, that was that's. I think a good example of this idea of internalizing things and when's the right time to to start to explore a situation a little bit to get your own schemas in place rather than just accepting the schemas that were passed on to you. Mm-hmm. And then as a leader, aware that people are making their schemas based on your leadership, how do you want to navigate that space with the people around you? Is that is that dependent upon how much? Of
1: that burnt hand, you want to have to deal with.
0: And I think that could definitely be an element of it. Um, Sometimes we lean towards authoritarian leadership because uh, though it may be more stressful from a leadership point of view mm-hmm. and heaping anxiety, perhaps on yourself. Um, ultimately it can be just easiest to say, this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and take it or leave it. Uh, you really feel like you've done something concrete when you make a statement like that yeah. to just say, we don't play with matches. You don't touch them. Uh, <laughs> wait till you're 16. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or to make up some arbitrary point. Mm-hmm. where suddenly this thing's going to change in, in the life of this person I'm trying to lead. And I want that transition to be smooth yeah. instead of <laughs> instead of disruptive and sudden.
2: I think this is an overarching um, issue that people need to understand. It's something that I've gained appreciation for now that I'm in my adult mind rather than my child's mind you know I didn't see my parents transition from taking complete care of me in all functions as an infant up to slowly reducing that like I don't distinctly remember that but I have seen the way that my parents have approached treating me as an adult rather than solely as their child Mm -hmm. right and I've also seen parents of my friends continue to hold on to that identity as a parent and it hurt the relationship it's impacted their abilities and confidences as adults and it's affected their relationship with their parents as they've grown up and I think that that's uh the the underlying thing here is your responsibilities in your roles will change over time You don't want to be changing diapers for your entire life, and you also don't want to be leaving your kids without the ability to think for themselves. And I think one thing that you're doing really well, Adam, is you've been exemplar of this Bowen's theory curiosity where as you're talking about the way you're observing them, she made this good uh, judgment decision, and she threw the match into the fireplace like you're you're showing a curiosity of their motivations and their understandings that i think is what makes this hard you have to be willing to learn more about them and what they're capable of rather than simply face value saying this is how it is or this is what you should do or this is what i would do do it like that
0: so so in that lens when you look at um when you look at the spectrum of authoritarian versus permissive, uh, do you think that do you think that being able to exist in different places on that spectrum would be a quality of a good leader? Where you know, given the situation, do you think where you need to stand on that spectrum differs, or do you think there is an ideal place to stand?
3: It's a good question. I think when leaders become rigid. Like this is how I am all the time. I don't know of any suggested leadership style that would say you should be locked into this role and behave this way all the time. I think authority, which is we in our last podcast, we talked about different times in our childhoods where our parents had authority and they exercised that authority in a very hierarchical um, you know situation but that wasn't really uh, very often and then when I think of permissiveness I, I I don't know about you all but I have a negative connotation to that it mm-hmm. sounds like it sounds like um, irresponsible almost or fear based so one's hands on one's hands off so I think on that spectrum between the two of those I think situationally there's times that we have to exercise that authority, and other times where we allow, as you mentioned, um, more of a hands off, but a responsible hands off. Uh, permissiveness to me sounds irresponsible, but I don't know how you all see permissiveness.
2: Yeah, I'm getting this idea in my head of like an appropriate response where rigidity may not be appropriate. I think of the abusive stereotype trope where they're where they are aggressive so much so that in their permissiveness you're constantly looking over your shoulder to make sure you're not bringing on that aggression again um where there's a where your aggression is inappropriate in that it causes a fear where um all that to say is it seems like there needs to be this balance of in this permissiveness um you need there needs to be something underlying it in our pre i thought back to the the rigidity um conversation we had in our last last episode john and uh, we talked on how it was important that in those times of forcefulness it wasn't It wasn't necessarily a shock. It was exemplar of something that was already being taught and lived and shown, but it was like that hitting the nail on the head that needed to be shown. It was appropriate. It was forceful, but it wasn't too much.
1: How much is this related to a spectrum of order and chaos? So I think if you're an authoritarian, you are trying to create order so much that there's like no chaos. And permissive, that you're just allowing the chaos to happen, and it's irresponsible. You know, I, I I was looking at that spectrum too, in some ways. Yeah, I I
3: thought of just reactivity that mm-hmm. that I'm ang- anxious, so I'm going to try to wield control, mm-hmm. institute order because I can't stand uncertainty. And I think permissiveness can be almost underfunctioning, where when I underfunction, chaos ensues. I don't know mm-hmm. if chaos can be the overfunctioning component in that relationship. I think both authoritarian and permissiveness, the way they're, the way they're stated, at least the way I see them, are both reactive stands. And so I think the question Adam might be asking is where on the spectrum so what is what is responsible leadership look like? And I don't know, you guys can disagree. If it's not authoritarianism, and I tend to look at that more politically, like authoritarian systems mm-hmm. tend to be ones that squash civil liberties and and uh, people don't thrive under those. Yet permissiveness is a- anarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Which people can't th- survive or thrive. So how can we raise children or run an organization if we're saying, my, my claim is that authoritarian and permissiveness are bookends of bad? Mm. Mm-hmm. They're both bad.
1: Yeah. I uh, I would say that. Um, no, I, I know this doesn't answer your question, so I'm not sorry. Um, but uh, so <laughs> I would say that a lot of our leadership right now is authoritarian. Would not you say if somebody was going to just go ahead and broad stroke characterize an, a, a leader would be an authoritarian? It wouldn't be. They would be like, well, it's a permissive person. You know what I mean? They would not go the other end more of our leaders would be on the end of the over-functioning, micromanaging, trying to create order all the time leaders. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but like the leaders that might be characterized socially
0: could be on that end. Do, do you think that an element to this characterization of Mm -hmm. the authoritarian leader is because it's easy to identify. Like it's very easy to see someone wielding authority and Mm -hmm. say, there's the leader. Yes. They're in charge of something that I can see as opposed to someone who's leading from maybe more of the middle of the spectrum where they, they wield authority but they're allowing people to explore the space appropriately mm-hmm. and trying to help people navigate that space. Mm-hmm. And well, I wonder how
1: much if it comes down to also <clears throat> it's it's somewhat easier sometimes to have that authoritarian leader because then I don't have to th- as a as somebody who's underneath them I don't have to think. So they're creating the order for me. So I know it's kind of a pain in the butt, but nah, you know what? I don't have to really think through anything anymore. So it's kind of nice. You yeah. know, for better
0: or worse, there's yeah. certainty. Yeah, mm-hmm. they
2: do it all and then they burn themselves out or force you out one way or the other. I think of um, authoritarian as being easy in that we see it all the time, like when often when we're watching um, movies or TV mm-hmm. or reading through books, the people that we admire the most are the ones who have all the answers, the one who guides you, and the one who knows perfectly what to say to change you and shape you and direct you, and... The thing that we don't realize is the other person has humbled themselves into receiving that influence, Mm -hmm. um, which sort of removes that internal narrative of the emotional and rational processes. If you don't have an understanding of that going on, and I don't know anyone who's ever—I find myself—I'll speak for myself—I find it harder to open myself up to the influence of others the older I get— Because I think I have a better understanding of things. And it's been a conscious process for me to say, okay, well, I disagree with this, that, or the other. Well, I feel like I have a sharpness in these things. There are things that I can learn from that person and need to humble myself from them. And so I think we see authoritarian leadership exampled in a positive light often in ways that are unrealistic because um, people aren't positioning themselves to appropriately receive
3: influence does that make sense yeah I I'm thinking of open versus closed and when systems get anxious we tend to close off and I'm thinking about the order versus chaos and I'm thinking authoritarian is trying to control chaos mm-hmm. through the force of will and permissiveness is surrendering, surrendering to chaos and just just almost a willful ignorance of how Rome is burning around me, but I don't want to hear any news otherwise.
0: I thought it was interesting that you mentioned there, uh, the opening closed and how people become closed when anxiety is introduced to the system. And I think a lot of times uh, not saying that, you know, I think there's a a time and a place for authoritarian, um, but a lot of times that can raise anxiety in people where all of a sudden someone's telling them what to do and telling them how things have to be and that might not fit with the current schema that you have and that raises that, person's anxiety in that system, and then they become very closed to that leader um, and very non-responsive to that leader.
3: But I've seen the opposite, too, in, in situations where someone will say, well, that person's a leader. They just need to tell us what to do, where you know, there's been times in, in a classroom setting where a student will ask me a question, and, and I'll say, I'm not sure about that. What do you think? And they can become exasperated with that, they want an answer. They want me to think for them. And so I'm wondering where that balance is between, it doesn't really matter what type of system we're talking about. Where, where is it appropriate for the leader to give, um, an initiative or directive? And when is it appropriate for the leader to turn it back around to that person and say, what do you think? So I have a thought. Um, <clears throat> so uh,
1: the, the phrase God complex, I've uh, been thinking through here in the last couple of days, and we've talked about humility in our last podcast a little bit. Um, it, it, the God complex basically says that uh, I, I'm my own God, right? I know what's going on. And so I'm, I, I'm trying to make understanding of what's going on around me. So what, where I've connected this somewhat is when the, and I'm going to get to your question, your answer here, but like, as the anxiety increases, I'm trying to individually control what's around me by either doing it myself or making somebody who's an authority over me, do it for me. Right. So we're all, and this is a theory, right? So the theory is that we're all within this complex all the time. We're trying to, especially when anxiety goes up, we're trying to control something, you know, have somebody else control me or I'm controlling something else. And so what you asked is, is like, so, so kind of like, what are we supposed to do with that? Or how do you navigate that? And And I think all four of us could sit here and say, like it comes down to knowing your people in a lot of ways, right? So if you know this kid is looking for an answer, how can you tap into who that person is by lowering the anxiety and providing them with a way to figure it out themselves without directly telling them what to do?
3: You might be familiar with technical mm-hmm. uh, challenge versus an adaptive challenge. And I think of a student said to me, when's picture day? And I said to them, when do you think picture day is? they would like I don't know that's why I'm asking you Mm -hmm. if they ask me do you think I should go to college yes you should and here's the five reasons why Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's the time to give them those five reasons so technical is what question and answer there's a clear answer maybe whereas questions that are more adaptive are more based on a person's individual perspective and their own values and beliefs. So maybe that's the difference between when we do it and when we don't.
1: Yeah. Well, does it in turn, if, if your anxiety goes up, do you become more technical?
3: Everyone wants a technical
2: solution. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to know the formula for success 100% of the time.
3: Yeah. I mean, you look at the NBA, for example, whenever anxiety goes up, technical fouls are increased, I would say. So I think that's a good example.
1: (laughs) He just glossed over
2: that that sports
3: analogy. As a good
2: segue away from (laughs) the sports ball stuff. man i'm doing a great job of just yes. presenting myself as someone who who is of the knowledge that he should know yes uh-huh. lebron woo um but i i think one way that would i, I something i want to know adam as you're thinking through Whether let's let's use the spectrum that you're thinking through now: permissive, authoritative. Um, What internal mechanisms or questions are you using to evaluate your role and relationship with your children? What led to this change now uh, in letting them play with matches? What will evaluate when you (laughs) let them (laughs) play with knives?
3: and no it was playing with that just, let's just get
0: <laughs> i've actually thought about the knife one as well is trying to figure out like what level of sharpness is it okay to let them start to explore that space and to use it correctly isn't
2: the rule of thumb like you hurt yourself more with a dull blade than a
0: sharp one so it should yes, always be as sharp as more. possible it depends what you're cutting though right now my son's at cutting mac and cheese with a butter knife And I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, uh, so the question just to restate was where, like what, what kind of instigated this thought pattern within me? Yeah. Like, like
2: what, What internal schema are you using? What questions or other processes are you using to evaluate like how to deal with these circumstances and your changing role as someone who's telling them what to do as to guiding them into curious and constructive, critical thought? Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I think that there's kind of two things that were coming to a head. Um, The first was, you know, this deeper curiosity with the kids themselves and wanting to know the reason behind these rules that I have. And that also causes me to really think through why do I have these rules uh, and to make sure that it's not just a rule because it makes my life easier. Uh, it needs to be a rule because it helps us uh, stay safe or be a better family or, or whatever guideposts I have in place there. Um, so that, that was one element of it. And then the other element was my experience in the classroom as well as uh, it you know, a lot of people refer to the teacher as the authority in the room and, and trying to navigate that space. And the, this year, um, you know, I kinda went way to more toward the middle of the spectrum. Um, you know, I've become increasingly frustrated with rules based systems. And I, I think part of the reason is because when you create a rules based system, you create a set of rules to follow. And if if following the rules is the most important thing, then people try to find ways around the rules because they're not they're concentrating on what the technical rule is and how that how that how they behave around that technical rule and less about why the rule might exist or why it's important to behave in a certain way. So in my in my classroom, uh, the past couple of years I've been experimenting th- with this, but but this year in particular, um, I, we had a big discussion at the beginning of the year and I just said that I don't have a list of classroom rules. I'm like, we have school rules and we have to follow our school rules, but I don't have a list of classroom rules and I don't want to tell you how to behave, but we have a job to do and, and we need to get that job done. And I said, if we can just operate under the context of respect uh, with each other with ourselves and and with the classroom and with the school that i think we can navigate this space pretty well um so so i think you know thinking about this spectrum i I think maybe i put myself uh, hopefully i don't know in the middle of that spectrum just saying you know, as things come up, let's talk through them. And, you know, where my students are mostly in 11th and 12th grade, they have a pretty good handle on what it means to to do school. So, um, you, you know, you have a code of behavior and instead of me creating rules and then you breaking them, and then we have consequences. Instead, when we have an issue, can we have a discussion and can we figure out the why behind it and, and figure out how to move forward? Um, like one example is I had some students who um they one of them had like some iced coffee drink at their table and it was first period right at the beginning of school day and they're goofing around before class starts with like a piece of paper and grabbing it from each other or something and one of them spills the other one's coffee drink and so now it's all over someone's book got wet someone's notebook got ruined uh like half a box of tissues to clean it up type thing and it, it would have been very easy in that situation to swing over to the authoritarian part of the spectrum and be like okay we've we got a new rule, no drinks. And I just solved all the problems. Um, but really I didn't solve the problem at all. All I did was make a rule that hopefully won't be broken. And then we have to have arguments about what drinks are and like, well, this is, it's not technically a liquid. So I didn't even want to get into all those conversations. So instead I just went over them and I just said, Hey, just want to let you guys know I'm not angry and I'm not upset, but how do you think this fits in the context of respect for the classroom and for each other? um, and, and, and for me, and, and how do you think we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Um, and and when I had a good conversation with those students and it was because I put myself kind of in the middle of that spectrum and said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to talk to you about what's happening. Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah. So as that, applies to your kids then do you have any questions that you're asking yourself to evaluate um how it's progressing per se does that make sense
0: and i'm not sure if i thought it through to the point of saying okay here's my checkpoints to see yeah, is this say. successful yeah I, I think you know i think one measure of success is the fact that i haven't had many disciplinary issues in my classroom like i can just have a discussion with the student and they know that when I bring it up and when we discuss it, that it's important to me. Um, and and I think, I think that's one thing, you know, when, when you don't exist as that authoritarian, that when you, when something comes up, from you as important I think it lends weight to those words because instead of everything is important here's all the rules this is why you can't touch your phone during class or this is why you can't touch the stove or this is why you can't do this and I have all these can't do can't do can't do and they all seem to have equal importance under this authoritarian law instead Um, It's just kind of, you know, when I approach a student and say, hey, I'd I'd like to talk about this or I've noticed you're using your phone a lot during class. What can I do to help you use it less that there tends to be a better response to that?
3: So I'm, I'm thinking through that classroom example and authoritarian clearly illustrates that the leader's in charge, like there's no question because of the amount of rules and permissiveness, which is the total extreme where a a leader is just disjointed, disconnected. Um, Someone might say no one's in charge. So how do people know, how do your students, how do your children, how do they know you're in charge if you don't have a bunch of rules that scream I'm in charge, and when you break them, I punish you, so that reinforces this illustration that I'm in charge. How do they know you're in charge? Or are you in charge? Maybe that's the, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's the right question to ask. To me, it sounds
1: like Adam or John or Zachariah, whoever is leading something, seems like you set up a structure, a system structure. So, Adam, you set up a system structure within your classroom that sets the homeostasis. And the homeostasis is what you keep balanced as the leader. And because you set up that structure, and maybe it's verbal, maybe it's nonverbal, right? But again, you're consistent with that structure. Then it allows you to point to, well, this is the person keeping the structure together. Thus, you are the leader of this system.
3: So keeping the integrity of the structure. Yes, whatever the structure may be. And when the when the drink was spilled, Adam could have done one of two things. He could have no drink policy, Mm -hmm. new rule, ignored it completely, Mm -hmm. like acted like it didn't exist, which would be Mm -hmm. I think irresponsible. But instead communicated and I wrote down from a position of principle of respect and then asking the kids what does respect look like in this situation this goes back to technical versus adaptive Mm -hmm. and helping them think through the application of a principle as it relates to a new situation that you hadn't thought of at the beginning of the so it's it's allowing students to take an old principle and apply it to a new situation that could be DOK three
1: mm-hmm Depends on which principal you are talking
0: about. That's
3: right.
0: P- principal is what I am thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so one thing I was thinking of when when you mentioned how do people know who's the leader, um, like in, in my classroom or or in whatever situation, uh, I think I think in the classroom, uh, I start from a place of implicit leadership that. You know, when on the first day, um, just based on the beard and the bald head. (laughs) Everybody knows that I'm the older person in the room and I'm the teacher and okay, we need to feel this relationship out. I I think there's a learning curve as you build that rapport with your students. But I was thinking through that idea, you know, in education, we throw around the word rapport super casually, like you have to build a rapport. And for some people that means like, Oh, I should play video games with my students. You shouldn't, um, except super smash brothers and 64. Mm -hmm, Um, but it, you know, so how do you build that rapport? And I think, I think what I did in those situations, I started from a place of implicit leadership that I've been granted authority for whatever reason in this spot, whether it be because um, because I had a kid, and now all of a sudden I have this authority, or because I'm standing in front of a classroom on the first day of school, and and suddenly I have this authority. And and I think that you know, I took that implicit authority and used it to create a culture of of trust in my leadership that, um, I wasn't necessarily going to try to control you or force you, mm-hmm. but rather that, I, you know, and, and in some ways tried to, I, I want to let those people know that I want what's best for you and I want to help you grow. And I think when you can develop that trust in people is then, is then when your leadership can really start to shine because I don't need to make a rule that says don't do this, but rather you're starting to think through your actions and how they interact within your environment before before they happen, hopefully. It just seems like it's leading right back to your guiding principles.
1: You know, you've decided on your guiding principles before you decided you were going to lead something. or Now, obviously, that's fluid throughout your life because your guiding principles may change. Um, but your or whoever, leader, if they lead with their guiding principles it seems to make a lot more sense as long as you verbalize
0: that with the people. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that verbalization is really important. Um, uh, uh, another aspect of this that, that I kind of see come through is that I feel like a lot of times we try to, um, we, we try to bring about morality through these technical changes and through whether they're laws or rules, um, you know, depending on, on whatever environment, uh, we're talking about, um, those things don't create, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, those creating a you're not going to create a set of rules that's going to change someone's heart Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to you might create a set of rules that's going to change someone's behavior while they're within that rule set which from a parental perspective that means while they're living in your home perhaps from a teacher's perspective that's when they're in your classroom Um, and and, you know you know from a work perspective or or a top-down relationship perspective perspective. It's just going to be when they're around you, they're going to behave in a certain way because they know these are the rules for this moment. Um, but rather I want that, I want that person to, uh, I want them to change themselves and believe in the way that they're, that they're acting and. and hopefully come out the other end of of our relationship a better person for it but I don't think I'm gonna get those results by creating such a restrictive environment that you have no choice but to turn into a diamond through pressure
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I just am, am thinking about and it's true in in professional and personal relationships if I can manage myself I invite others to develop their own selves so, I manage myself. what you said is from and I focus on principles and what I believe. it invites others to think through those situations themselves. and uh, I'm, I'm still stuck on authoritarian versus permissiveness. So you mentioned maybe you didn't mention specifically permission to rule or permission to that it's that implicit leadership and in political science you talk about authority versus legitimacy and when a leader has legitimacy permission to rule then authority isn't necessary because i mean occasionally it is you know for example if if there was cheating going on in your room or some violation of school policy you know you might have to say this is the consequence but absent of that it allows you. Legitimacy makes a difference. So I'm wondering if legitimacy is the, the 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 halfway between the spectrum or something like that. But certainly flexibility is part of that, because sometimes you have to throw the hammer down, if you will. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you gotta let kids figure it out. And I think that legitimacy is
0: is perhaps what I was driving at there when I said I started with implicit with implicit leadership that was granted to me and that i tried to work towards trust i think maybe what i was trying to work towards there was legitimacy that you know not that i'm the only teacher you've got at the moment or you know i'm I'm the dad that you got but rather um hopefully that you believe that i'm capable of fulfilling that role um by being my best self, uh, trying to be my best self in those environments and kind of getting, trying to get that trust and that legitimacy from the people that you're trying to lead.
2: So as I'm thinking through this on a a grander scale, if I were to summarize what you're doing in the classroom, Adam, it's, uh, you've clearly defined the outcome that you want respect to be center in All the things that need to happen in the school. You got to obey the school rules, and we have content to learn. But you've said, like, this is the outcome. And you've clearly managed yourself by allowing for there to be a safe space uh, when that doesn't happen. Asking them, how can we change this? Like, what can I do so that you're on your phone list? What can, and that safe space has pushed responsibility and the how of that responsibility into the students so that they can identify that gray and they can, they know what the system is about. They know now that they just need to find out how to relate to a system that's about response, uh, about respect. And so they're responsible for figuring out how they do that. But you have set yourself up and I think this is what ties into legitimacy as the person who is ultimately responsible for the outcome. And I think that's kind of what comes into this when do you need to be authoritative I'm doing air quotes here for everyone who's listening the quote-unquote authoritative versus the quote-unquote permissive is at what point are you responsible to step in and say this is how things need to be done because the responsibility falls in your lap
0: I I, I would agree with that and I think you know I think those moments where you've feel more and more the pressure to step in and to lean authoritarian is perhaps when the the risk level goes up in that situation. Um, you know, like if if for a parenting example, if my kid is running towards the street and and I say, stop, I I want my kid to immediately stop, not just be like, "Mm, maybe I disagree with with this. Can we talk it through? There's no talking it through. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I want this to feel like an emergency and not just be the 100th time he's yelled stop. So maybe I'm not going to listen this time because last time it was because I was going to, you know do something minor and Mm -hmm. and it just made this person fly off the handle. So I I think about that a lot as well is, is, you know, as the risk level goes up and the anxiety goes up, um, I want to be able to step into that authoritarian role and, and have it be respected and not overused, Um, And then be willing to come back towards center and discuss afterwards. But sometimes I think there's those moments where you just need to say, I'm saying this right now, and it needs to fly. And but hopefully you've got enough legitimacy and, and trust that people can just go along with you for that moment and know that on, on the back end that you'll figure out the why later but that you trust this person enough at the moment to just follow them when they say something's important uh, to get you through this riskier situation
2: yeah especially when you're thinking about it through the lens of influence or the idea of being open and closed like trust is built A relationship is something that doesn't just happen. You might have implicit authority, but you might not have legitimacy. You might not be respected, and you might not have that trust. But it is true that at the end of the day, you want someone to look back and think, wow, that was the right decision. That was the way it should have been handled. But it's so easy um, for—it only takes— one thing to break trust that's been built right that is to say it takes time to build that trust but it's easy to break it and so if you want someone to listen to you when you say stop in a tone of voice you don't want to be someone who hasn't built up the legitimacy or the trust that when you use that tone that when you say that like even if they don't understand even if they can't comprehend it at this time like this is something that needs to be observed uh, a legitimacy.
1: Yeah, great talk, gentlemen. Um, lots of different things about how to understand this spectrum. If we call it a spectrum between authoritarian and permissive, and overfunctioning, underfunctioning. So many different things here. So, thanks, Adam, for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. Uh huh. He's our second person to be on twice. So you're our second two timer.
0: I think the third it's been two times oh, the third two times the third two times no oh, i was unaware i was third a third two times
2: <laughs> well first is the worst second is the best third is the one with facial hair <laughs> and a well-shaped head oh
1: yeah so yeah that's that's <laughs> what that's the way i've heard of it so um couple things to leave you with right so matches um you know think Knives. about playing with those things and then you know that obviously leads to if you don't have matches on hand maybe go to I don't know, your musical playlists, what have you, and look up Matchbox 20. Mm. So you can play something. Matchbox 20 and Santana, you could play the, Smooth, perhaps, a song, um, while you think about this concept.
2: Okay. <laughs> <'Kay. I'm laughs> Thank you.
1: Matchbox 20, I, I'm going to just tell you now, it was one of my least favorites. I don't know how Adam feels about it, but... Um.
0: Uh, they haven't been too painful in my oh, life.
1: Okay, Santana, thumbs up. Matchbox 20. Thumbs I grew up,
2: up to Matchbox uh-huh. 20. Rob Thomas, special place in my heart. Shout out. <laughs> Look <laughs> at this guy. And and I don't even, uh, did you,
1: you even mentioned a basketball term. Oh, no, you mentioned a basketball term. Yeah, that was term. not me. Oh, I, I said the Bronx name. He said sports ball. Oh, okay, he did Woo. say sports ball. Um, an Austin car term, wasn't it? Bring the hammer down? Bring the hammer down. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I just wanted to make sure we went back to that so that way Zach could learn from this structure
2: of legitimacy. <laughs> I just feel excluded from the system.
3: <laughs> Welcome to the outside of the triangle.
1: Yes. So, hey, um, you can check out all of our stuff on ofleadership.com. You can email us at ofleadership at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Simplecast, Jetler jesse huff made our music sick beats and with that i think we're pretty good i am alex i'm john i'm zach and i'm adam and we'll catch you next time see you right now. Yes.